This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. The first issue of Classical World's 111th volume takes a wide-ranging look at the 50th anniversary of the so-called Harvard School of Virgilian Interpretation. Guest editor Julia Hayduck of Baylor University put together a series of articles by rising and established Virgilian scholars, as well as 22 short essays by some of the most eminent Virgilian scholars of the past half-century. Hayduck joined us to talk about the importance of these essays in the context of Virgilian scholarship, as well as the academic community at large. Thank you for joining me today, Julia. Tell me, what does the anniversary of the Harvard School of Interpreting Virgil mean to the field, to the classics field? Well, at the basic level, it just means that it's been a little over 50 years since the publication of the four works that... Ralph Johnson, in an infamous footnote in 1976 called The Somewhat Pessimistic Harvard School uh, of Interpreting Virgil, which he contrasted with the more optimistic European school. And since then, especially in America, it's the case that interpretations that tend to stress the darkness in Virgil's works have become far more common than readings that see him as primarily concerned with glorifying the Roman achievement and the Emperor Augustus in a sort of panegyrical way. So I I chose the title Happy Golden Anniversary Harvard School because I like the irony of a title where every single word is incorrect. These readings actually stress the unhappiness. Um, It's really about the end of the Golden Age and the beginning of the Iron Age. It isn't actually an anniversary because, in fact, uh, half of the works, the so-called canonical works of the Harvard School, were written in the late 40s and mid-50s by people who were then at Amherst College and not at Harvard. There never was really a school either in any meaningful sense. But the reason that we know this is because uh, one of the four alleged founders, Wendell Clausen, who uh, happened to be my dissertation advisor also, wrote a short essay, which was published in 1995, kind of explaining all this, talking about how, in fact, a lot of the ideas came from conversations that he'd had with his colleague Adam Perry at Amherst College, And the only reason we know that is because he happened to tell us that. Mm -hmm. And I just found that fascinating. And I figured, well, we had this one reflection from a key player. Uh, Wouldn't it be interesting to sort of harvest some more? So you put together, there's 22 essays here from some of these top scholars and, and, you know, kind of leading into that. How was that? What was that process like to put all this together, especially from some of those folks? That actually was incredibly easy and fun. I discovered it's it's a lot easier to throw a big party than a small one. Um, so I just, I basically wrote to about 40 people. I'd say most of them are at least at some level friends of mine. Um, some of them I didn't actually know personally, but I admired their work. My only definitional thing was that they had to be a senior scholar, which I defined as older than me. Uh, so I just had to sort of, the only tricky part was figuring out by a little espionage who exactly met that criterion if they were kind of on the borderline. 
Yeah, so I just emailed them and kind of asked them some very basic questions about why is it that you read Virgil the way you do? What do you think the Harvard School is? What have been influences on you? And lo and behold, people were very willing to talk about that. I got about twice as many people um, responding as I thought would. Do you think some of these people were just waiting for an opportunity like this? Like this just you was kind of hanging out there and that's why you got a response like that? I think that actually it's just very... Um, an important and enjoyable thing to sort of reflect on why we read things the way we do. I mean, everybody's interested in themselves, right? You know, I never really asked the question this way. You know, why is it that I that I read Virgil the way I do or that I read anything the way I do? And it was a wonderful opportunity for everybody, I think, to think not only about themselves, but especially about the the people, the friends and teachers and mentors and colleagues who have had such an influence on them. So it was sort of like a, a funny sort of reunion in a way. When you're when you're going through all these, you get this great number of responses and, and uh, these people put these, these thoughts to paper and send them to you. What did you learn putting them together? As you said, everybody likes to talk about themselves, but you got a real good chance to look at this, this wide swath of opinions. So what did you learn while going through all of this? a tremendous amount. I mean, I, I would say that this experience has fundamentally changed the way I think about Virgil myself. The combination of putting this volume together and experiencing the 2016 election and its aftermath have really, I think, given me a deeper insight into what Virgil is all about. And to see that he, he truly is, at a very profound level, the poet of civil war. That there's there's something about Virgil specifically, I think more than any other author I could think of, that invites a kind of polarization in interpretation, that, that some people will just read him one way and others will, will tend to read him in the opposite way. And I think that Virgil himself was plagued by this question, how can decent, intelligent people who basically share the same values and should be on the same team how can they look at the same data set and come to opposite conclusions and that then tear their community apart? And that is what civil war is. That is, I think, what we are as a nation experiencing right now. And it also happens to be the history of Virgilian interpretation. And I think that these things are not uh, coincidental. And the passions that, that people exhibit about their readings of Virgil are so intense because they care about him so much. I guess that was probably the main thing I learned uh, at an intellectual level. I think at a sort of emotional level, I've, I just really got a, a deep sense of the personal relationships that are involved in scholarship. We think of it as sort of this transfer of information, but that's really not what it is at all. It's really about sort of personal relationships and all the subtleties of human friendship and how the whole direction of somebody's life can be changed by one friendship or sadly, in some cases, one, one enmity. And I think that what Virgil conveys probably more than any other author is the possibility of real moral complexity, that it really is possible to see things in different ways. And the fact that some people respond more strongly than others to different strains or different voices, to use the, the common term in Virgilian uh, interpretation, it doesn't mean that they're reading him wrong. It means they're reading him right. But if you actually want to understand Virgil as a whole, you can't just look at one scholar's interpretation. You have to look at the whole community of readers. You know, it takes a village. 
What kind of conversations do you hope come out of this issue? You know, you know some of the things you've been thinking about yourself, especially maybe in other fields who will who will find a way to look at this as a, from a literary criticism perspective. Maybe, uh, how, what do you think uh, would be good to come out of this? I think that especially in an era when academia as a whole and the humanities in particular are under assault in a way that they've really never been before, never right. to this uh, extent, it's it's really important to remember and be grateful for all the teachers and friends and colleagues who've had such a profound influence on us. And also to remember that, you know, we really are all on the same team. And especially that the disagreements that we have, even and perhaps especially the most passionate disagreements that we have about the material, reflect a deeper unity. They reflect the fact that we actually care about this stuff and we think it matters. And I would love to see more sort of reading communities reflect together on why it is that they read the way they do. And to recognize, I guess, that to have a full understanding of uh, an author is really to understand not just the words on the page, but to gain some kind of understanding of, of the whole community of people who have been reading him and that, or her, that that just gives you a much fuller picture than any one person's interpretation could do. And I guess I, I hope that it will ultimately lead to more kind of unity among our, our humanities community and a recognition that, that whatever wars we have are civil wars uh, and that ultimately it's, it's better to, to work together rather than against one another. Thank you, Julia. I really appreciate you taking your time to tell us about this, and we're excited for the issue to get out and be shared with the world. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.